0: It was a sad day for Samuel. He got up and took a deep breath and uh, he was sad. Why was he so sad? Well, he loved Saul. And when he first anointed Saul, he had great hopes for him and but now it's just so sad to understand how far his heart was from god and and how his heart wasn't anywhere near what the lord commanded and, and now god has told him i'm removing the kingdom from saul It's it's no longer his we have a new king and says here in first samuel 16 that samuel grieved and grieved and grieved and i don't know what his grieving looked like but man when i grieve i'll cry i can imagine samuel weeping i can imagine him getting up every day and just sitting in his chair and oh, he loved saul he had the best hopes for saul and then finally god comes to him and says samuel Stop your grieving. It's over. The people picked the wrong person. It wasn't right for them to pick a king. Remember I told them all the way back then that this isn't going to end well? Well, I was right. Get over your grieving, Samuel. We've got a new day. And I've got a new king. You know, sometimes I think we can get caught up in our sadness, When a true tragedy like this happens, you're hoping for the best. You're hoping for Saul to be king forever and his family and his kids. And then it all falls apart. And man, you can get caught up in grieving. You know, you can get caught up in being sad over the death of a loved one. That's hard. Or being caught with an illness. That's difficult. And you can just get caught up in this grieving and sadness. I think this is a good example where God says, all right, it's over. It's done. The grieving is done. I have another plan. And by the way, this isn't plan B. This was plan A all along. And when it talks about in the Bible how God grieved in his heart, again, it's a sadness over what could have been, but it's not a surprise to God. David, who's the king to come, was not plan b over saul it's not like that in fact when you look at the lineage of david and where he came from and and how jesus can trace his lineage all the way back it had to be david no no this isn't plan b this is plan a but in the great providence and wisdom of god i think there's still moments for grieving over Saul had a chance and and maybe what could have happened, and sometimes I'm not always certain how you reconcile that with the commands of God in the sense that he had a plan all the way from the beginning. Well then Saul could have been king, but he failed. And how does I don't know, but I do know this. What this scripture teaches is there is a time to stop grieving. And the king that's about to come is no plan B. He was plan A. So God comes to Samuel and says, Okay, you've got to quit this. In fact, I've got a king all set. I've got a man who's going to be king, and it's among Jesse's sons. So I need you to go to the town of Bethlehem. So I need you to go to the town of Bethlehem, and I need you to anoint one of his sons king. This is good news, Samuel. Let's get going. Take your horn, fill it with oil, and get out there to Bethlehem, because you're going to anoint somebody king. Well, Samuel says, all right. And he takes his horn, probably a sheep's horn with a little bit of a hole drilled so he can pour oil out of it, and the big white end at the other end, and he pours in some oil and puts on the big stomach. Wait. Samuel thinks, Wait. If, if I go to Bethlehem to anoint the new king, and Saul hears of it, he's going to kill me. And he's never going to let me anoint the new king. Already this is a sign, right? That Saul was never meant to be king. This is not a man after God's own heart. This is not a man who is obeying God in any sense of the word. No. He's going to kill the person who's going to anoint the next king. He's just thinking about himself and hanging on to the kingship at all cost. I can't do it, God, because if I go to anoint, Saul's going to kill me. And then God says, all right, let's do this. Instead, I want you to take a heifer, uh, uh, an animal, and I want you to take it with you to Bethlehem. And when you get there, say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And then invite Jesse and his sons there. So you will sacrifice a heifer for the people there in the town of Bethlehem. And you'll also at the same time, under the guise of that, anoint the new king and leader of Israel. Let's do that. And Samuel's like, all right, let's do that. i do want to say right here this verse causes some controversy because some people think god is lying god is lying he's saying hey you bring this heifer and you invite the people of bethlehem to come to a sacrifice but really your goal is to anoint the new king of israel so you're faking us with this sacrifice when in fact Your goal is to anoint. That's a lie. I just want to encourage you. God is not the author of lies. He cannot lie. And I think there's lots of ways around this. Number one, yes, he really does want to sacrifice this heifer for the people there at Bethlehem. But I also think he also wants to anoint the new king. That is true. Both are true at the same time. The fact that one obscures the other does not mean God's lying. Number two, I have no problem with God being deceptive in a time of war. He's used deception before. You know, in the book of Judges, do you remember when he sent out a battle plan for the people of Israel to attack from the front? But he also said, I want you to send another troop around the back. And so when the people of that town come out... And they see your men, I want your men to run away, acting like they're really afraid and scared. And so they run away, and then the men of the town and everybody of the town comes out to attack them. And yeah, we got them. But little do they know, there's people around the back that once they lure all the men out of the city, they run into the city behind them and burn it all. And so they're acting, they're asking that first group of soldiers to act deceptively this is god's battle plan i think in a time of war in the context of what's happening here god's not lying he's saying we've got to act deceptively because the enemy's out to kill us we understand that and that is not a lie either way god is not an author of lying and we know that And what's happening here is either God's being deceptive in the context of war, you gotta keep your secret plans to your secret self in the middle of war, or both truths are true. He's sacrificing a heifer. By the way, I'm also anointing the new king. Either way, just ignore those arguments that say, hey, God's lying. It's not true. God is not the author of lies. But he does say to Samuel, I want you to be wise, and I want you to take a heifer. So puts a heifer on a cart, a live one, starts heading towards Bethlehem. And when he gets to Bethlehem, the news gets out that Samuel is heading towards Bethlehem. The news gets out and says the elders come trembling. They are petrified. They are scared. Basically, they're wondering, are we in trouble? And they literally ask Samuel, do you come peaceably? They're worried. Is Samuel somehow coming because Saul asked him to, to punish the people of Bethlehem for something that they did wrong? Or, or is God sending Samuel to curse the time? I don't know why they're afraid of Samuel. But Samuel says, no, I come in peace. And and I am going to come sacrifice this heifer. And I want the whole town to join me. And I want the family of Frank over there and the family of Dave. Oh yes, and that family of Jesse. Come, let us celebrate. And so they bring the heifer. And here they get the heifer ready. They slit its throat. They probably put it on the big altar there in the center of town, and they put oil on it, and then poof, they light it. And it's a burnt offering and a sacrifice to the Lord on behalf of the people of Bethlehem. And while this is going on, it doesn't say exactly how Samuel does this. But I think he pulls the family of Jesse aside. And he says, All right, Jesse, I need you to bring your sons to me. And Jesse thinks, What? Well, why? And Samuel says, Listen, we're going to meet over there in that barn. It could have been behind a hill, it doesn't really say, but let's meet in this secret place. And I want you to bring your sons. Because I'm going to anoint one of them. And one of them is going to be the new king of Israel. Jesse thoroughly thought, oh, as a dad, wow, my sons, one of my sons is going to be the new king of Israel. How do you know it? And, and I'm sure Samus says, the Lord told me, Yahweh told me one of your sons is the new king of Israel. And I'm going to anoint him today all right, Jesse says, let's do this. So so he goes and he grabs his oldest and his oldest son, his name is Eliab. And when Samuel looks at Eliab, he says, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Surely this is the man God's picked. I don't know if he was tall and Handsome and muscular and good beard and that height helps. And he's thinking, "This is him, Eliab," and he gets his oil ready. But God says, "No, nope, that is not the one." Hmm. All right, all right. No, no, it's it's not Eliab. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. I don't know if, man, alive must have been bummed out. Man, I want to be king of Israel. So, so then it says Jesse calls Abinadab. And here comes Abinadab. And, and maybe Samuel thinks, oh, this is it. This is him. He's good looking. He's got a nice beard. And look at those ears. Very strong ears. Nope. God tells him, nope. That is not him. Alright, I'm sorry, Jesse, it's it's not a binadab. Alright, here here's my third oldest Shema And here he comes and Samuel thinks oh I bet it's him, I bet this is the one and again God says no The Lord has not chosen this one And Samuel shakes his head and no That's not him And then I think the Lord pulls Samuel aside and just reminds him. In fact, it says in Scripture that God reminded him right after Eliab, the first one, of this one truth. He says, listen, don't look on the appearance of the man. Don't look on his height. Don't look on his good looks. Don't look on all that hair, his broad shoulders, what a great dresser he is. No, do not look on the appearance of the man or his height or his stature. And then he says something significant. And this is a verse you probably heard over and over again. It's right here and it's so encouraging. Because God then says to Samuel for The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart and Eliab I'm sure is a fine person but I'm looking at his heart Samuel and I reject him as king Abinadab I'm sure he's got a lot of great qualities he's a great singer in the choir he can really knit whatever his talents are but guess what I'm looking at his heart Shammah may be the best soccer football player in the town of Bethlehem. He's got a tackle that can take down anybody. But man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart and I reject them all. So he rejected Eliab. He rejected Abinadab. He rejected Shammah. And then he brings four more of his sons and each one god says nope nope oh no no nope nope nope. just kidding with you samuel not that one either and then finally the seventh son shows up nope not him sam is like man I, i can only keep this pretense up so long people are gonna find out what i'm doing over here and I keep thinking it's that one and that one. And God says, no, and no, and no, and no. And then, are these all your sons? Or are all your sons here? And Jesse says, no. <laughs> I got one more. He's the youngest. He's he, He's busy keeping the sheep. All right. Samuel says, all right. Get him here. We're all going to stay standing. None of us are going to sit down until he shows up. Now, why Jesse never thought of David, I don't know. I think he thought he's the youngest. In most families back then, if you were the oldest, you got everything. You got all the land, you got all the property. And maybe he thought, once I show him the oldest, strapping Eliab, and he just never thought it would get past him. But David... David, the youngest? So he leaves and he's got to go out into the field. Probably takes him half an hour to get there. Finally finds David, who's probably behind a rock, practicing his sword fighting or catching a sheep and wrestling it to the ground. Because he got to keep up. I don't know. David strikes me as a person who kept in a lot of good shape. And then he says, hey, son, come on. You've got to come. Samuel the prophet wants to meet you. Whoa," says David. "I think you know, and David follows him, and and then he comes into the barn or behind the rock, and it says when Samuel looked at him, that he was ruddy, and had beautiful eyes, and was handsome. Now, now some people think that word ruddy can imply he had red hair. Other people think you no, know, ruddy just means he was out in the sun a lot and got a lot of a tan going and he was just a rugged sort of individual but it said he had beautiful eyes and he was handsome david wasn't ugly david wasn't some you know person that you would think no he was a good looking dude in his own way and ruddy which is a good thing to be the thing that made jesse forget about him though he was just the youngest. Maybe Jesse knew he had a lot of growing up to do. But when Samuel saw him, the Lord whispers in Samuel's ear Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Arise anoint him for this is he and samuel stands up and he takes his horn and he pours the oil over the head of david and it runs into his hair and down his ruddy face and and down his ruddy chin and his beautiful eyes this is the new king of israel and the moment he does that boom The Spirit of the Lord, it says, rushes upon David, just comes upon him. And it says, from that day forward, the Spirit of the Lord was with him. And I don't know if he began to speak in angelic tongues. In the book of Acts, when he had the Spirit of the Lord come upon you, people spoke in tongues. I don't know, but everybody knew when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, it was obvious wonder if his brother stepped back i thought david is the new king of israel david the the kid I, i used to wrestle with and put in a put in a blanket and drag down the stairs david my littlest brother he's the new king of israel I wonder if they all knelt down and bowed before him. I wonder if Samuel walked over and gave him a towel to wipe off the oil. And gave him a big hug. This. David. Is the new king of Israel. But you know what? There's an old king of Israel. And the old king of Israel scared Samuel enough that he was afraid to just walk to Bethlehem and anoint the new king. You know, Samuel had to do a bit of deception in order to get there. That's how afraid he was of Saul. And is Saul going to give up the kingship easily? Well, if you come back next week, we're going to hear that story. Man, it's a cool story. But I want to pause here and just say simply this. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. And the thing David had, and we're going to hear this over and over again in his life. He was imperfect. He did bad things. He failed miserably time and time again he fails miserably morally ethically david makes bad choices but the one thing that david always had is he was a man after god's own heart and what does that mean he had a heart after god he was loyal to yahweh no matter what Yahweh was his God and he was going to choose him and fight for him and die for him and be on his side. And when God saw a heart like that, that said, no other gods am I going to choose. I'm going to choose Yahweh and him and him only. When God saw that loyalty, that heart of loyalty, he thought, that's the one I want. Because that's what Saul didn't have. Saul was not loyal to Yahweh he was more loyal to himself and his own prestige and what he wanted and it seems like not being loyal to Yahweh he might have had a heart that would have been pulled after other gods and God says no I want a man after God's own heart I look at the heart not the outward appearance and David is loyal to me and that is what we should strive for today. We all should strive to be men and women after God's own heart, which simply means this. We all should strive to put our believing loyalty in Yahweh no matter what. And Yahweh says, hey, if you want to follow me, if you want to be loyal to me, then you've got to follow my son, Jesus. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but through me. God the Father says, You know what? What you do with my son Jesus, that's all that matters. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that he's the Savior of the world? Are you going to put your believing loyalty and trust in Jesus? If you do, you are a man, you are a woman Thank you.